Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Since its inception, the Turkish government has used the Grey Wolves, a Turkish ultranationalist organization, to target Kurds and other minorities both within Turkey and abroad. Dileman Abdulkader, the co-founder and director of American Friends of Kurdistan, joins me to discuss his latest publication, On the Grey Wolves, which highlights their links to past and present Turkish governments and the state's use of the Grey Wolves to persecute the Kurds. We also explore how Western countries can put pressure on the Grey Wolves and look at the ways in which the United States can play a vital mediating role between the Kurds and Turks. Diliman, welcome back on The Greek Current. Thank you for having me. Diliman, recently Turkey's foreign minister flashed the Grey Wolves sign while in Uruguay to a group of Armenian protesters. And the leader of the far-right MHP, which is Erdogan's coalition partner, also has strong links to the group. Who are the Grey Wolves and you know, why was this image that we saw recently so problematic? You know, this just proves the Turkish leadership and the government that it closely aligns with the Grey Wolves. And the Grey Wolves is an ultra-nationalist, fascist, right-wing Turkish organization, which main goal is to unite the Turkish people, the Turkish people across the region, uh, not only within Turkey. And with that comes the isolation and the targeting of minority groups such as not only the Kurds, but Armenians, Greeks, you name it, anyone that is surrounding Turkey. So I think this is very dangerous that the Turkish foreign minister himself has flashed the Grey Wolf sign. This just shows and proves that the current government is closely aligned, of course, with the nationalist MHP party, that they are not going to hide their intention to target minorities inside the country, but also they are trying to spread this ideology across borders in Europe, in the U.S., and most recently in Uruguay as well. Dileman, this isn't something that's unique to the Erdogan government. How have Turkish governments used this ultra-nationalist group, the Grey Wolves, as a tool over the past decades? That's definitely right. It's not unique to the Erdogan government. And the current problems that we have with Turkey is not unique with the Erdogan government either. You know, the Grey Wolves has always been a tool for the Turkish governments in general, since its founding, since 1923. A nationalist organization is easy tool to use, so the blame does not lie on the government itself. So the minority groups that are targeted cannot blame the government, but the government is responsible for the Grey Wolves' action because the government looked the other way. Or, you know, as you mentioned in your first question, the government openly supports the Grey Wolves. Now, to make matters worse is that the Turkish government in the past and in the present have even publicly supported the Grey Wolves' actions with the alliance of the MHP, for example, on multiple occasions have supported the targeting of the Kurds in southeast Turkey, the targeting of the HDP, the People's Democratic Party. And they have not taken any action to condemn the Grey Wolves' racist attacks against minority groups. And I think until this is addressed, until the Grey Wolves is isolated by the Turkish government, this will continue to happen. And this is a easy tool for the government to use. It's not directly connected to the government, but it's not not directly connected to the government. So it's a benefit for the government that it can easily use against minority groups. What has this meant specifically when we look at you know the question of Kurdish rights in Turkey and the Turkish-Kurdish peace process? How have the Grey Wolves influenced this process? You know, the Grey Wolves has allowed this non-recognition, you know, not recognizing the Kurdish people, their identity, their culture, their background, their history, 
within Turkish society. The Grey Wolves has isolated the Kurds with the support of the Turkish government. The Grey Wolves has prevented any sort of reconciliation with the Turkish government. And the Grey Wolves has always reminded the Turkish government that the path is not to come up with a compromise and come up with a peaceful solution to the Kurdish question within the Turkish state. So the Grey Wolves, I would argue that it is a thorn within the Turkish government, but the Turkish government fails to address the issue because it is convenient for the Turkish government. It allows any Turkish government, when it's in power, to conveniently pull the Grey Wolves card, to conveniently remind its nationalist base that, hey, our target is still the Kurds, our target are still the Armenians or the Greeks, whoever they may be, and that we are going to please you. We are going to go after them. For example, an invasion of northeast Syria. It's a perfect example of that. It pleases the nationalist base. And that nationalist base has strong connections with the Grey Wolves. So, I mean, this is not special to the Erdogan government, but it is even more unique to this government simply because the current AKP government is an alliance with the MHP, which have direct links with the Grey Wolves since its founding in the 60s and 70s. So I think, you know, to answer your question, the Kurds are suffering under the Grey Wolves, but it's suffering even more heavily because the government is just simply turning a blind eye and in some cases assisting the Grey Wolves themselves. Looking beyond Turkey's borders, Diliman, this group isn't just a problem inside Turkey, but has become a global force. How concerning is this for Western governments, primarily European ones, but also the U.S. government? Right, and that's what's the dangerous aspect of the Great Wolves. It's not within the Turkish borders. It goes across Asia, and it goes especially in Europe as well. As I've stated in my piece, some European governments have labeled the Great Wolves as a terrorist organization. Even the United States in the uh, recent National Defense Authorization Act by Congresswoman Dina Titus put forth an amendment to designate the Grey Wolves as a terrorist organization. Why? Because the Grey Wolves is an ultra-nationalist, ultra-fascist, right-wing party that its intention abroad is to infiltrate into political parties that has nothing to do with Turkey, to influence elections abroad, which is very dangerous, especially for the West. We see that in Germany, we see that in France, and we even see that you know, in our elections here in the U.S., where Turkey tries to infiltrate into U.S. elections with pushing forward its ideal candidate. And I think this will have dangerous implications in the future of how we put our legislations forward, um, what kind of aid we give to Turkey, what kind of military weapons we give to Turkey. And, you know, it has uh, strong implications for our and dangerous implications for our partners like the Kurds in Syria, for example. Diliman, in your latest publication, you wrote that peace building is going to start with the actor who has the most leverage, and that's the Turkish government. Is there hope for a peace process between Turks and Kurds so long as the Grey Wolves continue to wield influence in Turkish politics? Absolutely not. As long as the government doesn't condemn the Grey Wolves, and as long as the Grey Wolves are allowed to do as they please within Turkish society against minority groups, and not only the Kurds. The Kurds have no hope of any sort of peace process with the Turkish government and the Turkish people. I think that, as I stated in my piece, peace building does start with the central government, and that is Ankara, that is the Turkish government. And without the Turkish government wanting to invest in a peace process, wanting to eliminate the need for military campaigns, uh, wanting to 
eliminate the need to erase other identities like the Kurdish people's identities and histories, Turkey will never have peace and stability inside the country because its go-to source and its go-to card will be the Kurdish card, will be the fascist, racist card that it continues to pull. And the consequence of that card are military invasions, are cities and towns being raised to the ground in the southeast of the country. And it also allows a path for groups such as the Grey Wolves to feel more emboldened, allows them to grow, allows them to expand into other areas, even outside of the country, to be emboldened and say, hey, we're not alone in this. The Turkish government will support us and back us. And we've seen this in play. We've seen this in Afrin since 2018. We've seen the Turkish nationalism grow in areas beyond Turkish borders where there are literally maybe a few thousand Turkmen, for example, where it's 95%, just like Afrin, Kurdish, where now the Turkish population is growing, the Arab population is growing in result of the whole idea of the Kurds don't exist. There's no such thing as Kurdistan. You have to eliminate anything Kurdishness. Um, so I think this is very dangerous. And we have to ask ourselves ultimately is, how long is the Turkish government willing to take this path? How long will it try to avoid a peaceful resolution to the Kurdish issue? And how long can Turkey be able to just simply call Kurds terrorists and get away with it? What can the United States and the broader West do to put pressure on Turkey regarding, you know, one, the Great Wolves, and two, to help ensure a peaceful resolution to this conflict between Turks and Kurds? Right. There's a number of directions the United States could take. First, it shouldn't shy away from recognizing that the Grey Wolves is a terrorist organization. That's number one. It has been done in Europe. So that is a great step forward. And, you know, towards a peaceful solution that the United States could take is play a stronger role, a much more active role between the Kurds and the Turks to resolve the Kurdish question. I think the United States to date has failed to do so. The United States has really largely just allow Turkey to label the Kurds as it wants. And this gives Turkey the legitimacy that it wants. It gives Turkey the legitimacy on the international stage to use this labeling campaign, oh, the Kurds are terrorists, the PKK, this and that. So I think for the United States to regain its leverage and for the Kurds to be recognized, to be more involved in the peace process, I think the a important issue that we have to focus on and we have to put on the table is the idea of delisting the PKK as a terrorist organization. Because if they continue to be on the, the terrorist list within the West, especially in the United States, that automatically allows Turkey to continue its military campaign in the Southeast and against Kurds across the region. If we address the PKK issue, if we try to resolve the issue through peaceful means, if we delist the PKK as a terrorist organization, of course, with demands from the West, from the United States, from Turkey, towards the PKK as well. This ultimately takes the leverage away from Turkey. Turkey can no longer say Kurds are terrorists. And I think that's what we have to do in the West is to take Turkey's leverage away. Because under NATO, Turkey has been allowed to do as it pleases anytime at once. And I think it's time to go back to the basic principles of uh, NATO, which is democratic values. Democratic values means to approach issues within your society through a peaceful means, not through military campaigns, not through erasing the cultures of other minorities. For as long as Turkey does this, and for as long as 
NATO and the United States and European countries look the other way, Turkey will continue to take this route. Because from a Turkish government perspective, this is a green light. The West doesn't care. You know, they're on a terror list. We can continue targeting the Kurds. But this is causing havoc in, in the region. This is causing instability in the region. Uh, minorities are losing their lives. Identities and religions are being erased in the region. All to please a rogue so-called NATO ally that we can easily take their leverage away. Diliman, thanks for joining us again. Always great speaking with you. It was wonderful. Thank you, Thanos. In other news, Athens is reportedly on full alert even for the most extreme scenario on the part of Ankara, given that Turkish President Erdogan is under pressure domestically and resorting to increasingly incendiary rhetoric. This concern is further augmented by the concentration of refugees and migrants on the Turkish coast, mainly in the areas opposite Hios and Samos. The influx of refugees and migrants on the Turkish coast, combined with the rhetoric of Turkish government officials, has led diplomatic and military circles in Athens to dust off previous crisis scenarios. In light of this, Greece's armed forces in the eastern Aegean continue to move on the basis of an increased degree of vigilance and readiness in order to react if necessary. Finally, five EU nations on the Mediterranean who fear possible waves of refugees driven by hunger out of Africa called Saturday for an end to the EU's voluntary solidarity on migrants and a better way to redistribute the burden of caring for them. Cypriot Interior Minister Nikos Nouris told reporters that robust common EU policy is needed on migration. Solidarity is not a slogan, nor can it be void of substance, Nudi said. Some 36,400 asylum seekers and migrants have already landed in Italy, Spain, Greece, Cyprus, and Malta this year, after 123,318 arrivals in 2021, according to the United Nations Refugee Agency. Meanwhile, Cyprus has already received more than 11,000 asylum applications in the first five months of 2022. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.